Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. I think the lesson is just assemble as many good players as you can. It's the same lesson that the Dodgers have done. Uh, it's the same thing that the Rays have done. Um, you know, some, to some degree, it's what the Red Sox are trying to do. I mean, I think it's just, you know, depth is the way to form a great baseball team in this era. I mean, it, you, you saw it when Atlanta had uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. go down this winter. You know, Alex Anthopoulos did not go get one single outfielder to replace him. He got four. And I think that that is what, you know, the, the, the cutting-edge teams, for lack of a better term, in this era are, are how they're handling problems. Like, it's just buy in bulk and, you know, utilize as much depth as possible. Andy McCullough yesterday from The Athletic on this particular program, Danny Max Show with BK Tanner with us as well as we take you to 11 o'clock. A couple of things I think about when he's making that statement. Number one, they've always, always, every team's been trying to get the most talent they could. Now, I think what he's really trying to say is that if you're going to have openers and you're going to have bullpen games, you better have a bunch of arms. And here we are with the Dodgers, who have what seems like an unlimited payroll. And they've had a couple of injuries along the way, but how they used Urias, the fact that Max Scherzer has been tired, um, and they've just run guys out there day in and day out, uh, you better have enough arms to cover your innings. And that is the thing, and I mentioned this on the Fastlane BK yesterday. We said, well, what do you think about like the new age and all this? I said, look. If you're going to go in this direction, which is a lot of people are saying that you need to have openers, go to a six-man rotation, um, do these various things that maybe a bullpen guy only gives you a couple innings. Jesse Chavez made a start in a huge game yesterday for the Atlanta Braves. And you're, what, 17 yes. of being in the big leagues? In the NLCS. So I said the greater point is you got to collect arms. You, it, the old adage of, man, you never can have enough pitching. Boy, does that ring true more than ever now in 2021. Yeah, and I heard yesterday the Fastland was uh, doing a segment on like, hey, w- if you were to zig while everybody else is zagging, what would that look like in the in modern baseball? And one of the things they brought up was just, what if you actually left your starters in longer? Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I, I get where you're going with this, but there's no way that would happen with modern front offices because they would look down at the numbers and they'd be like, but the third time through and we would continue watching and it, it would probably prove true over time. Eventually you're going like, to end up having worse results as a, as part of that. And so this is where your arms come in because we're not going to get away from this. I, I wish we would guys like Max. Scherzer, you have an outlier every once in a while guy will give absolutely. you seven or whatever, but yeah, you're right. Generally speaking, this is the model. This is the blueprint. Most pitchers, most starters will give you five or six innings on good days. There will be some Max Scherzer, Adam Wainwright, the throwback type, right? Even Walker Bueller is this this way to a degree. Like there are young guys that also can go deep, but most of them lose their effectiveness after about five or six. And we can have a long drawn out conversation as to why that is, but that's how it is right now. And so you need 
I mean, Dan, forget the major league roster. You need like 15 or 20 pitchers between AAA and the major league roster to get you through the season that you trust. And I've always said that if you are a championship team, you will roughly use 33 to 35 players before it's all said and done. I And I believe that. So when you see the team that breaks camp in spring training, it truly is not the team you're going to see at the end of the year. Very rarely do you have a team like the 04 Cardinals that rolled out every fifth day the same guy until they had that thing wrapped up and then they gave, I think it was Danny Heron, a couple of starts um, just to kind of buy a little time with their starters. It just doesn't happen. Now, we have a, somebody on the text line talking about how the Cardinals, it says, can't afford all good players that the Dodgers have. Actually, if they want to go out and spend all the money in the world, they can. But to the point of bringing in John Lester and Jay Happ and some of the others that are going to be out there, you don't have to spend $35 million on a guy. Now, yep. if you want to go out, go out and get Max Scherzer and pay him that kind of money, fine. I mean, that's one way to skin a cat. But the other way to do it is to maybe build yourself a roster that is full of guys that can play and compete at the major league level and then allow yourself to get some depth in the minor league with maybe the 4A type guys. And I'm not saying they have to be great, and I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying it's covering your butt with arms that if you Jake run into Woodford, problems. Yohan yes. Oviedo, Zach Thompson, those guys that are on the cusp next year of being in the big leagues or maybe getting a little bit more time down yes. in AAA, those are the guys every team has to have now. And I'm not saying I want to count on them as my starters if somebody goes down. I, I don't think that's the model either. But they give you a chance to have a little flexibility when things go south. And that is the way to look at it. So if you're the Cardinals and you have X amount of dollars in the pot, are you better off spending that money on a position player DH or let's load up on some arms because we know that our, our defense is really good and we need to lengthen our lineup, but we think we can do that. We can find somebody, but we need to really invest in what we're doing with our pitching. And I've always felt from the time the season ended, it's about pitching because we found out when they didn't have enough pitching of major league caliber guys to get you five, six innings, it wasn't enough. Oviedo wasn't enough. Woodford in the beginning wasn't enough. So John Gant didn't cut it. You got to find guys and there's going to be plenty of them that are out there. And I'm sure they've got a list of guys that they say, this is what we project analytically. This is what we project money wise. Let's bring them in. Give them a shot. And that's how it may work this offseason. So I was thinking about this a lot last night, Dan, because Tanner sent us this. And I was like, you know, what if we flipped this conversation? We talk so much about who are the guys that are out there that you could bring in, right? Who are the players that you could acquire? Let's flip that a little bit. Who Let's wants to be here? Not only that, but who do the Cardinals currently have at those spots? Like, what are you upgrading from to get to that player? And so if you look at some of the options that the Cardinals currently have for, like, the DH spot or bench bats, second base, the spots that we're looking at potentially upgrading. We've got Yepes, who's right on the cusp of being in the big leagues. Nolan Gorman looks like he's, if not ready, very close to being ready. He's a left-handed bat for you. Lars Newtbar was pretty darn good down the stretch mm -hmm. for the Cardinals, and now he's showing out once again in the Arizona Fall League. He's going to, at a minimum, compete for that fourth outfield spot as a left-handed bat for you off of the bench. There are also some very cheap options that could be available for you this offseason as bench bats. Matt Duffy, Corey Dickerson, Cole, uh, Cole Calhoun, just to name a few. Shortstop, you've got DeYoung and you've got Sosa right now. And then you go to the pitching side of things. Got Reyes, Liberatore, Thompson, Hicks, Oviedo, Woodford. Which of those groups do you trust more? And that should give you a little bit more of an indicator as to 
which one you need to acquire more of in the offseason. If you trust the pitchers more, okay, then go out there and get the bats that you feel like you need to acquire. If you trust the bats more, now it's time to go shopping in the pitcher department. I trusted their pitching, and I was dead wrong going into the season. I thought I, they, I thought they had enough, and I thought, man, Adam Wainwright at the age of 40, asking him to go out there every fifth day, at some point he's going to have to skip a start, they're going to have to rest him, or he might get hurt. Well, I was dead wrong about that, too. Jack Flaherty, I thought, well, that's your workhorse. He's going to give you 30 starts. They're going to be careful with him at the beginning just because of a truncated season. Well, wrong about that. So to the greater point of this is that pitching is where it's at, man. It's just where it's at. And the other thing that I I have to remind myself of, I I like the one-year deals on filling some of these spots positionally because I've got Nolan Gorman coming. Uh, Does Juan Yepes fit into the plan somewhere? Is he a bench guy? Um, who's the the top prospect that uh, I always talk about? I, Alec Burleson? No, no, no. The keep going lower, lower, lower. Third base, top pick, two years. Uh, Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker. Thank you. It's like which one are we talking about here? Uh, There's a few of them. <laughs> I should know that right off the. I'm just. I'm a little tired right now. So Jordan Walker, I'm telling you, BK. He's not as far as you think he no. might be. Once he gets to Double A, it could happen in like yes. that. And he's a young kid, and um, and I get it. Maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse and I'm too excited about him. I'm just telling you the people I talk to are like, I, I haven't heard one negative thing. Like, was That's he bad? rare. Is he a bad kid? No, actually, he's like amazing. Okay. How's he with the media? Sensational. Oh, all right. Uh, well, he must not be able to play defense. No, actually, he's highly athletic. Really? Well, he's a, but he plays third. Yeah. Well, we get, we play for, Yeah. Move to the outfield, probably no problems. Really? Okay. Uh, what else happens? Well, everything he hits is a rocket. Oh. Okay, so what's the problem here? Nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, and and he's made the adjustments, like, right away. Like, normally you, you push a kid, and they may push guys knowing that they're going to struggle initially at another level. They know that, but they want to see the kid make the adjustment. He not only he just came up and he goes to the next level and just hits rockets. Like there was not really an adjustment period. Yeah. Like all of a you sudden, you saw with Gorman. Gorman did have about it sure. was about a week to ten days. It wasn't long, right? But it was about a week to ten days where there was clearly an adjustment to what he was seeing at AAA compared to what he saw at AA. And then he adjusted, and for the rest, like the next month and a half, two months, he was excellent at AAA. But it, there was a little bit so, of that adjustment period. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm thinking if he's not that far away. And again, I, I I just don't want to close the door on anything and say, well, there's no chance next year. I, I don't know that. Nobody does. Nolan Gorman, great shot to make the team potentially coming out of spring. Yepes, I want to see what he's got. Burleson is another guy. Um, so all these young kids coming, that means they're under your control. And that's why I said before to the whole original point of this, when your deals on some guys that have been proven in the major leagues, I probably would look towards that direction. Hey, Dan, welcome to the dark side, my friend, because yeah. this is this is where I've been at. If you if you trust some of these young guys to be able to provide that depth that we're talking about right now, it makes all the sense in the world to just go start collecting arms. Just yeah. one after the other after the other. I saw um, I think it was Eno Saris said this on Twitter the other day, said if your team is definitely headed towards the postseason, it seems like the thing to do right now is to get like six or seven guys stretched out to around 80 pitches. You're going to use them five relievers you trust anyways you could piggyback in september or october to prepare for it there's a lot of different ways that you could get ready for this but you're going to need a bunch of arms that can go extended innings that's 
that feels like something that the Cardinals are actually uniquely qualified to do. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the AAA starters right now, I don't know what their plan is with Matthew Libertor next year, but if there is any sort of innings limit for him, I mean, you get into the postseason, what a dynamite option coming out of your bullpen for three or four innings. The way that we've seen, not this year, it's gone a little awry for them, but the Dodgers used Julio Urias in the past. That's the kind of role that you could carve out for him. Uh, We'll see what happens with Alex Reyes, Thompson. I mean, they've got some guys that could be used this way. I'm excited about Libertor. I I think he's a really bright kid and makes the adjustments on the fly and it, it took a little bit to get going at AAA, and that's a massive jump at his age to go from a ball to AAA and then be a frontline starter but his last 10 starts in the minor leagues were really good so normal off season get into spring training and let's see what we got coming up we're going to visit with jared diamond of the wall street journal and that's next back to more of the danny mac show with bk on 101 espn Love catching up with Jared Diamond. He covers Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Jared Diamond. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jared, I want to get to a couple of pieces that I read from you over in the Wall Street Journal in recent days here in just a minute. But I, I want to ask you first about that game that we saw last night between the Braves and the Dodgers. I don't know where you stood on this series coming into it, but I just assumed the Dodgers were going to make quick work of this and we would see them in the World Series once again. And thank you, by the way, for hopping on with us today. What would you make of the Braves going up 3-1 to one last night in the NLCS? Yeah, I think everybody assumed the Dodgers were going to cruise through this series and end up winning the pennant. It's not an unreasonable thing to have thought. The Dodgers won 106 games. The Braves won 88. Uh, the Dodgers were clearly the better team for six months, but Right at this moment, uh, the Braves look really good, and the Dodgers, frankly, look kind of broken down. Uh, their pitching has completely fallen apart. Uh, they really miss Clayton Kershaw. Max Scherzer seems tired. Julio Urias has not been good. Uh, and their lineup now is without Max Muncy and Justin Turner. So the reality is the Dodgers we're seeing now aren't the Dodgers that we saw for the entire season. And the Braves, meanwhile, seem to be playing as well as they have all year. They're scoring runs. They're new outfielders that they acquired to replace Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, The trade deadline have been amazing. And, uh, you know, the Braves clearly are better than maybe we realize. In terms of seeing some of the trends in this postseason, what what are you picking up as you watch the teams that are winning? What are they doing right? The teams that aren't, what are they doing wrong? Well, look, clearly the the biggest thing of this postseason, and maybe it's not entirely new, but it certainly seems to have been uh, continued this year, is just how we're seeing teams run their pitching, right? I mean, outside of the Astros, Fran Valdez last night, it seems like starting pitchers are going two, three innings a game. It's so rare to see a starting pitcher actually act like a starting pitcher. Uh, but where we've seen teams get into trouble uh, – especially Los Angeles and Boston is when maybe they've gotten a little too aggressive, a little too cute with how they use their pitching. I think about, for instance, Dave Roberts going to Julio Urias out of the bullpen a couple nights ago, or even uh, more recently with Alex Cora, who we're so used to seeing uh, never slip up in the playoffs, uh, going to Nathan Eovaldi perhaps 
out of the bullpen. Uh, and it didn't work. Those moves backfired. And now you look at both uh, the Dodgers and the Red Sox, especially the Dodgers, and you start wondering how they're going to have enough pitching to get through the rest of the series. So uh, I, you know, I don't want to sound like an old fogey because I'm, I'm not, but uh, maybe there's something to be said about an actual starting pitcher going out and being a starting pitcher. Jared, the other thing about that that I'm curious about is, I mean, these teams construct their rosters for the grind of a 162-game season, and then you get thrown into what is the baseball playoffs where it almost feels like the game is completely different. You've got starters that are going two to three innings, and then you need all of these different relievers, a parade of relievers after that. How do you construct a roster nowadays to be able to get through that meat grinder of the regular season but then also still have the upside of being able to get through the postseason with your with your staff. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you can in some ways. Uh, it's true what you say that the playoffs are a completely different game than the regular season. And I don't think that's the case in any other sport uh, where you go into the playoffs and everything changes from a strategic standpoint. Everything you're doing becomes different, the way you run your team becomes totally different. I think that's pretty much unique to baseball. But the problem is uh, it's so hard to get to the playoffs in baseball. It's such a selective field that you need to build a team that's capable of surviving the regular season. It almost feels like when you get to the playoffs, it's like, all right, well, we did the hard part, which is uh, build a roster capable of getting here, and now let's throw some stuff against the wall and see – who comes out of it intact. You know, at the end of the day, the baseball playoffs simply are not designed to tell us who the best team is. They're just not. We, the team that wins the World Series uh, is not necessarily the best team in baseball. The playoffs are designed for maximum entertainment, for maximum television revenue dollars, for chaos. And that's great. They're fun. Uh, I love the playoffs. Who doesn't? But look, at the end of the day, um, am I going to sit here and say the Braves are a better team than the Dodgers? Of course not. They're not. The Dodgers are a better team than the Braves. Just like the Rays were a better team than the Red Sox. But the Red Sox were a better team three out of five nights uh, last week. Jared Diamond is our guest from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, I know you're very well connected in certain areas of, of the game and front offices and coaches and whatnot. And and now that you have postseason play, um, a lot of the national media gets together and they talk about the issues of the sport, whether it might be the CBA or what you're talking about here, trends in the game, or uh, letting go a manager like Mike Schilt. So I am curious, um, your reaction to that and what's been the thought in the sport about uh, Mike being relieved of his duties? Yeah, shocking. Truly shocking. I can't imagine anyone really saw this coming. Maybe Mike Schilt and- and John Mozeliak did, although it sounds like they, at least Mike Schultz, seemed surprised by it as well, at least in his public comments. Uh, it's, it's, of course, it's shocking because Mike Schultz was just there for, you know, one of the greatest late season comebacks uh, ever. They pushed, uh, you know, the Dodgers in the wild card game to the absolute brink. And to see him lose his job, I mean, whoever could have predicted it, I think it's definitely an, it's an interesting case study, right? I mean, we've seen uh, over the last, what, five, seven years, this trend toward the kind of people that manage in Major League Baseball today. They tend to be younger. They tend to be uh, people who are very 
uh, interested in analytics or perhaps willing to uh, play ball with the front office and, and not be sort of that all-powerful boss that managers were uh, in the past. And, you know, I think it's a reasonable question to wonder if maybe Mike Schilt wasn't that guy. He, he isn't a new school kind of guy. doesn't mean he's not a really good manager. And by the way, as we look at this World Series that we could see, perhaps likely to see, we're talking about 72-year-old Dusty hmm. Baker against 66-year-old Brian Snicker potentially being in the World Series. So it does make you wonder if maybe uh, maybe we've gotten a little too far away from the value of experience, the value of sort of being a, an old-school kind of baseball man. Jared Diamond is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He covers Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. And Jared, speaking of old school, here in St. Louis, we love our stolen bases. And you had an outstanding story over on the Wall Street Journal about how this is the highest stolen base percentage that we have seen in recent memory. It's 76% um, is what we're watching right now in terms of the success rate. Are we going to see a comeback for the stolen base if this trend continues in your mind? Man, I hope so. I feel like we've seen it to some extent in the postseason, right? Uh, there's been, uh, I feel like there's been a bunch of really big stolen bases throughout the playoffs. And not only have there been a lot of stolen bases, I feel like there's been uh, very few caught stealing. They don't have like the exact numbers in front of me. but As of last night, 32 of 34 were successful yeah. in the playoffs. So 32 out of 34. That says all you need to know. Uh, like everything, like everything in, in this game that we've seen, the pendulum swings often for the right reason, but then sometimes it swings a little too far. Uh, there's a reason why stolen bases have been a valuable part of the game forever. And then for an entire generation, going back to the early 2000s, it was basically eliminated from the game. We, the industry basically decided that stolen bases were a waste of time and not worth trying. Uh, in reality, the answer is probably somewhere in between. It's probably true that uh, there are too many reckless prospective base dealers for most of baseball history and that uh, they were running into outs and hurting their team. It's also perhaps true that eliminating stolen bases completely from your arsenal is also a bad idea. Uh, and maybe we're starting to come back toward that equilibrium. Things are never going to go back to the way they were in the 70s and 80s. And frankly, they probably shouldn't because we have data that tells us that, that wasn't the right approach. Uh, but often there is sort of this happy middle ground that maybe we're going to see teams go back to with stolen bases, with the way they use their starting pitchers, with a bunch of these things. Uh, I do think we're going to see a, a slight shift back, not all the way back, but slightly back toward the middle. I may be, tell me if I'm, you know, in left field on this thing, and I may be wrong, but when I see that minor leaguers are going to now have some housing provided for them, I kind of look at that as being a step in the right direction when I look at the bigger picture of a CBA. Now, ultimately, it's going to come down to major league players making big money and making sure that they stay like that and things don't go the wrong way and owners doing their thing. But it may be small, but it might be a little bit big too. Kind of the, the first olive branch with some of this stuff. Would you agree? Yeah, look, it's, a, it's nice when there, when there's a, an agreement able to be made, but it's important to remember that this has nothing to do with the MLBPA. This was not an agreement 
between the owners and the MLBPA. This was just an agreement by the owners. <laughs> they didn't actually have to agree with the MLBPA for this. The MLBPA doesn't represent minor league players. So while it's definitely a good gesture and the right thing to do. And that's do, what I mean, yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily – I don't know how much it bodes well for them, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, or more accurately, Dan Halem and Bruce Meyer coming to any agreements. But at least, at least it tells you that the owners are able to agree on something. And if we think back to the labor negotiation of last year uh, with trying to restart the season, one of the big issues that plagued that negotiation was a lack of cohesion from the owners. And not all 30 owners were on the same page about the best approach. It seems like in this issue they, they were. And if you're going to be able to make an agreement with another party, you have to be able to make an agreement among yourselves first. Uh, so hopefully it's a good sign. It's, it's going to be a, a brutal November. That's No matter what, it's going to be a brutal November as they really start to get into the weeds on this. And do you think it's going to get done before spring training? Or even before December 1st, which is when it's officially up? Yeah, I'm not going to – look, I, I don't know about December 1st. <laughs> they have a lot of ground to cover, not a lot of time. But I feel like it's sort of uh, – I feel like it's sort of trendy or almost conventional wisdom. I feel like I'm supposed to say that there's no chance there's not going to be a work stoppage in 2022. Uh, I see it that way. I, I really don't. I don't think that a work stoppage that, that cancels games, that delays the season in any way. I don't think it's inevitable. It's certainly a possibility. They, like I said, they have a lot of ground to cover. They are not close. Uh, they have not really gotten to talking about the issues that are really going to matter, which are sort of these top-line economic issues that are they're no doubt going to cause massive fights. But ultimately, I do believe, and I know these people, I know the people involved, I know both these parties very, very well, I do believe that they, they understand that missing games is really bad for everybody. It just is. It would be it would be a devastating blow for baseball as a whole. And I do think they they understand that on some level, even if they're not going to acknowledge it right now. So I want to believe there's a, a deal to be made that they could find common ground. I think it's going to be hard. I don't know if it's going to happen by December first. Uh, but I, I always believe that when when you're up against it and you really are now faced with the prospect of driving over the cliff and canceling games and not having a season, uh, cooler heads will prevail. Maybe I'm just being overly naive or optimistic. Jared, final question that I have is a little bit of a follow-up to that. If there is a delay and it's not done by December 1st, how do you think that impacts the hot stove season? Because as you know, that that's almost as interesting for a lot of fans as the season itself. Yeah, there is none. Until there's a CBA, if there's no CBA, there's no hot stove. Like, there's no winter meeting in December if there's no CBA because deals cannot happen. There could be no transactions, which of course would also be bad for baseball because that's such a big part of it, especially you look at this free agent class coming up mm-hmm. with all of the, the talent and these shortstops that are going to make a billion dollars between them potentially. Uh, so it's why you sort of hope as a fan they could get it done by the end of November. Remember, there hasn't been a work stoppage in baseball since the strike of 94. They have been able to come to agreements over the last you know, 25 years or so. This one is different. Tensions are higher in some ways than they were in those other ones. But every single CBA seems impossible to get done until it gets done. Uh, So I have some hope that this one could get done as well.
Jared, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate the insight. Great stuff. And uh, love uh, reading your work at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you again. Anytime. Thanks. You got it. It's Jared Diamond of the uh, Wall Street Journal. Interesting about the stolen bases. And clearly, home runs are making a difference. And the the stolen bases, though, is the one that stands out to me. Because stolen bases are just... Not that it's a lost art. You still see it every once in a while in games, but it's just, it's down to a science. You know, you're 1-3, 1-4 to the plate. You take in the account of the pop time of a catcher, uh, his throwing arm, your lead, your speed, and basically you have the equation for whether or not the play gets made. And more times than not, these guys are going to make a good throw, field it cleanly, apply the tag. So... Uh, it's interesting, though, that the numbers have been pretty good here in postseason play. It's fascinating, Dan. And 32 out of 34 is an incredibly high rate. I mean, this yes. year it was 76%, which is the highest of the modern era. And now you're 32 out of 34 in the postseason. Teams just aren't even attempting to pick these right. guys off. There's like, okay, yeah, you get a free second base. That's an extra base hit. Like, that's the thing that I've always thought about this, Dan. I, I almost wish, and I don't know the way that we would be able to go about this, but I almost feel like you should be able to add that into your slugging percentage. Because, like, Tommy Edmond this year, he had a 387 slug. He also stole 30 bags. Those are extra bases. Like, he got a double on that play. He ended up on second base. He was standing there as somebody else was at the plate before they got a hit. That should count for him in some way, shape, or form, but we don't include that into the slugging percentage, so it doesn't show up there, so we think he's a bad hitter. He's not an above-average major leaguer. I just disagree with that assessment. And also, I'd say this about Tommy Speed. Of his, what was it, 41 doubles this year? What do you think? Do you think half of those were doubles that, not the non-traditional, I don't know how to describe it, but for a lot of guys, I'd say 80% of the league, maybe even more, it's a base hit. It's in the oh, gap. Yeah, like and Matt left, Carpenter hits yeah. the same thing in the same spot. Guys and the batted ball is the exact yeah. same. And Matt Carpenter's at first, Tommy right. Edmonds at second. Yeah. I, I'd say at least half of those were like that. And Absolutely. That's, that's his speed, uh, and I love speed in the game of baseball. It's fun to watch. And to kind of um, piggyback off of that point, next year, as I was talking about in the first segment, the fast lane mentioned, hey, what, what can people do to zig while others are zagging? If I'm the Cardinals, one thing that I would love to see them do more of next year is steal bases. Like Tyler O'Neill could steal 25 bags. He's got that kind of speed if he's able to get the right jumps. Harrison Bader, he could finish next year with 15 to 20 stolen bases easily. A guy that I would love to see run a little bit more is Dylan Carlson. He had two last year. He could easily be a 15 to 20 stolen base guy. His first stolen base was like well beyond, I think, the midway point of the season. And when he stole it, I had to look down to make sure I was right. I was like... That's his first stolen base. And everybody that we talked to said, hey, projects as a 15 stolen base guy. So uh, you've got a lot of speed on this team. Edmundo Sosa, if he's starting next year, he's he's a guy that can steal some bags. So you've got a lot of speed. Go ahead and use that. You've got pitching, you've got defense, and you've got speed on the bases. Be super aggressive because if teams are just going to let you go at a 75% clip and you're even better than that because you've got guys that are not only fast but good base runners, let's get this going. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. I'm not sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, BK, because you're uh, all over this stuff. I'm not sure there has been enough attention given to the front office of the Braves for what they did. I I mean, just retooling. That season and that outfield, Acuna's out, Ozuna's out. Uh, you know, their frontline starter out with an Achilles injury. But to the point of their outfield, 
They had to remake it. And at that point, they're kind of just hovering around 500 up and down. And remember, they didn't get above 500 for a long time. It was after the Cardinals played them. Remember, because we yes. talked with Chip Carey and he, he had That's talked right. about how they were kind of on similar tracks other than the fact that the Cardinals had the more of a peak early in the season and the Braves were just kind of flatlining. Yeah. And they go out and get Jock Peterson. You get Solaire and you get some others. And Brian Snitker says, you know what? It's been amazing. You know, we got three major league outfielders, everyday guys. Now we got four of them, and I got to figure out how to make that work. And Rodriguez, too. I mean, we, we had some great, Alex did an unbelievable job for our club and showed those guys that, you know what, we're in this thing. We're real. And they all fit in. That's the thing. Every one of those guys came in and assimilated into our clubhouse and our team just effortlessly. Something that he said there that I believe in is that the jolt of a long season that you get when you make a trade is real. And when your front office says, we're going for it, players buy in. And they show up to the ballpark that day and the next day. And it may take a little time to mesh. And that that always happens depending on how big the star is that you bring in or the player and the position they play, all those factors. But I can tell you in a general statement, there is a jump when you add a player that you believe is going to help you and you're not unloading. And that's what they did. So you got to give them a ton of credit to be in this position. 100%. The other thing they did is got guys with proven track Absolutely. records. I mean, you, you look at Eddie Rosario. I know he was having a little bit of a down season, but Eddie Rosario, you look at the back of the baseball card. Well, we were talking about him this time last year. We're like, man, that'd be a good fit for the Cardinals. I still think that would be the case for yeah. next year. Like if he ends up going out there and getting five, seven million bucks from somebody, that's a guy I'm interested in. He just, he hits quality pitching. And is that going to the way his approach does lead to put some slumps? You're going to see that sometimes. And we saw it for a prolonged period of time this year, but he's a good hitter overall. And he's shown that in the postseason. Adam Duvall, a productive major now, league hitter. Now that one we can say now, hold on, Alex, you didn't miss on that before <laughs> he hit on it. <laughs> it's so fun. I mean, they had him. And then they just let him walk. And so Miami picks him up and it was a, a year. And then an option that is there to be picked up very reasonable for a guy that put up his numbers and midway they through they go you know what we got to get him back okay well you had him but now you had to go give up something to go get yeah. him and now you got to pay him a little bit more so that one you go eh but you give him credit for going back to the well he admitted his mistake and, right. and that is one of the biggest qualities you can have as a front office executive is you got to be willing to admit when you're wrong and they they admitted it they were like hey we needed this guy we messed up by getting rid of him he's back on the team jock peterson was a great addition and jorge soler hasn't done a ton for them in the series Hasn't really done a ton for them in the postseason, but at the back stretch of oh, the, yeah. uh, the regular good. season, they might not make the playoffs without what Jorge Soler did for them. So all of those additions were just critical in getting them to where they are today. So speaking of front offices, loved your visit you and Alex had with uh, Buster Olney. He talked about the Cardinals front office. They think they've done fine, and they also feel like that they have not been stressed. In other words, because of the fact they play in the National League Central, um, they haven't been under a lot of pressure. So in some respects, you know, the Cardinals are where the Chicago White Sox are now in the American League Central, that because of their access to money, uh, because the players they have on their roster, uh, you know, they can do things that other teams in the division can't. And within that context, you know, they've had success. I would say the stress, though, has been picked up with the uh, situation with Mike Schilt. There's more stress now, more pressure uh, on this front office. And... You know, we've talked about a lot of, of the various spots that they probably need to look at, address, improve. But there is added pressure when you let go of a manager that's been in the postseason play three consecutive years. It just that's the way it is. Yeah, they put this on themselves yeah. in some ways. And it's also the timing of it, right? Like you it's twofold. 
A, you got rid of a guy that was a successful major league manager for you. And B, you were already going to have pressure to go into next season sure. as a winner because it's the final year of Yachty and Wayno. You have your cornerstones right now on the infield with Goldie and Arenado. And now you've shown that you were right. You ended up being right, which almost in a roundabout way puts more pressure on the Cardinals about your outfield. So now you got to go supplement that with the requisite talent to kind of piggyback this conversation, Dan, on the last one that we just had. I do think one of the lessons to be learned from this postseason is just you have to be willing to go out there and acquire significant major league pieces at the deadline. I know every year we go into the season and we say at the beginning of the year, what you see today on opening day is not the roster that you're going to have at the end of the season. And that's true. But it can't just be waiver wire additions. It also has to be guys that you're getting that other teams want at the deadline. And that's how the Braves were able to do it. The Red Sox, I don't know if they're going to be able to advance or not, but they're where they are right now because of some of the additions that they made at the deadline. That's one thing that I would like to see a little bit more aggression from the Cardinals this year is going out there and getting significant pieces that you need, that you find out you need once you get to that July 30th, July 31st deadline. Speaking of the Red Sox, they're now down 3-2 in the ALCS. First inning, and Jordan Alvarez hits the ball into left. Back at the wall, it's gone. And the Astros strike first in game five. After the ground out by Bregman, and that one's down the line into left. What a night, Alvarez delivered again two more runs will score off his bat he's driven in all three and it's three nothing Astros here in the sixth that's into right of base hit might score two one run scores Alvarez and they will hold Tucker at third as Renfro gets it back in it's four nothing Astros on top. Astros would roll in that game. Game six is tomorrow night, and the Red Sox start Nathan Evaldi. Astros have yet to announce a starter. I think it goes seven. I think Evaldi's going to come out and shove. Has Evaldi had taken a game off? No. I feel like every night that I've watched the postseason this year, it's been... Avaldi for the uh, for the Red Sox, and I've seen Urias pitching for the Dodgers. And like in some way, shape, or form, it yeah. might be an inning. Or it Scherzer, might be a starter. same thing. Yeah. All of those guys are pitching every night. I think you're right, Dan. I think this one ends up going seven. I do think that the Astros will eventually advance. I think we're going to get an Astros-Braves World Series. As of a week ago, I thought there was no chance that that's what we would be seeing. And the Braves now up 3-1. Yeah, that ball's hit well into left field. Turning and running is Taylor at the track. The wall. She's called. Eddie Rosario with a home run. Opposite field smash. And the Braves strike first. But he was logging multiple innings. That ball's high and deep into left center field. Duvall gives it a ride. And this one's going to fly. Adam Duvall with a home run. The Braves go back to back. Two and one to Freeman. And a high fly ball into right field. Got some carry to it. Betts is back at the wall. And this one is gone. The Atlanta Braves with the long ball. In the air, right field. Hit well. And this one is up and out. A home run for Rosario. A three-run blast. It's not going to be a cycle. But he'll take that every day. 
Rosario with his second homer. Max Freed going tonight for the Braves. Dodgers yet to announce their starter, and they're on the brink of being eliminated. You have your show coming up with Alex. What do you got? Yeah, looking forward to it, Dan. Big game for the Blues last night. They look really good, man. I know you have seen a lot of them doing some of the pre and post stuff for Valley Sports Midwest, and we're going to talk about that to open things up. It looks like, to me, this team is developing developing an identity already. Last year, I felt like it took much of the season to be able to get there. We're already watching it a few games in, so that's part of it in the other second half on this opening segment. Uh, this felt like the I'm back game for Jordan Bennington, and Alex Ferrario will explain that coming up here in just about five minutes or so. Maybe Vladimir Tarasenko, too. Absolutely. Boy, did he look good last night. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.